0: This is A Mission-Focused Life with Tim Olafson, co-founder and executive director of Another Child Foundation. Up next, Tim will speak with this week's special guest, offering special insights on how you can live a mission-focused life. Welcome, everyone. This is A Mission-Focused Life, and I am your host, Tim Olafson. and I am so glad you all have joined us today, and I hope this podcast helps you along your faith journey. Today, we have a special guest. We have Todd Long, who is the guidance counselor at a middle school in Greenville, South Carolina. And i uh, just like to welcome Todd to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey,
0: hey we first got to know each other. And, and it, was a, it was almost like an encounter back in 2006 when I went to Romania. It was my first international mission trip. And uh, there was actually two teams. You worked for Buckner or Buckner International, Buckner Romania at the time. Is that
1: correct? Yep. I was, well, I was working with them, kind of helping them. I wasn't actually serving with them, okay. but I was helping them lead teams. Yep. Okay.
0: Yep. And I remember there was, there was two teams. I don't know how you got so many people over there at one time, but there was a team from Tennessee that you and John Hogg led. And then there was another team that uh, Beth Brinkmeyer, or Beth Bateman at the time, and uh, Dave Jolly led. And I was on that team from the, more from the Illinois. And we had a couple connections there. But that's how we first met. And uh, yep. it was fun to kind of uh, get to know you. Um, but anyway, so when we get into the questions and stuff, we're going to talk about Romania and have some fun discussions on that. But tell us a little bit more about uh, where you are today, your family, and, and you know, a little bit about you today.
1: Sure. I appreciate it. Well, uh, where am I today? Right now I am working back in the public school. this is was this has really been my career um, with, with uh, branches out into mission the mission world and I try to keep one foot in there all the time. I've been back in public school about 10 years and I enjoy it. I working as a counselor. have three daughters, uh, two in college, one in middle school about seven years ago i guess uh i was divorced and uh but my daughter who lives with her mom they live well, we live in the same neighborhood so i see her <laughs> almost every day <laughs> so i'm very uh very very involved with their lives i was laughing today as a matter of fact just last <laughs> night i had to move her around a lot of different places so i spend a lot of my time with my kids doing stuff even though even though some of them are older we were very involved in things and um Just really, when I'm not working, I try to, I really try to spend a lot of my time being engaged in ways that I can serve the people of Romania, because that's just my heart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did Romania, how did it, how did it all start? How did Romania become, you know, how my passion that that country has a way of grabbing people's hearts, and how did, how did
1: it do you? Well, I tell you, people have asked me many times over the years, how did you pick Romania and the answer always is, I didn't pick Romania. Romania picked me. And um, the quick version, if I can do that, I'm not good at quick versions. But <laughs> the Quick version is, I was 28, uh, grew up in the church, but became a believer at 28. And uh, within a year, the Lord started really putting his finger on me about missions. And I had nothing to go on. I had no background in any of those things. I was just learning how to even be a believer, but it didn't go away, Uh, and then I didn't really have any idea what that looked like. I didn't know what he wanted me to do. I didn't have any idea really even what listening to him sounded like or looked like at the time, but one thing that started happening, two things that happened. I knew a girl from my job who had gone to Mongolia for two years to be a missionary, and that really impressed me, And the second thing was around that same time, everywhere I went, and this is pre-internet, so you weren't Googling things, you weren't looking on your cell phone, it's the old days, you know, and uh, everywhere I went, every magazine I picked up in a waiting room at the oil change place or whatever, every time I flipped on the TV, it was something about Romania. Hmm. And I had to conclude that he must be trying to get my attention. And it must be about Romania and I had to go now this is where my my own kids laugh. they just like what I had to go to the public library and find one of those big atlases because I didn't know where it was I had to find it on the map it's in Europe that's all I knew because I couldn't google it on my phone because we didn't have that technology so I went to the library I found it on the map and that's how it started
0: that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah because they have similar stories. And really, the only thing I knew about Romania when God called me there, because I said, the, I say the same exact thing. I didn't choose Romania. Romania chose me. I right. knew of uh, the gymnasts and I knew the Dracula. I knew Transylvania. And Dracula. I knew Dracula and, and I knew Nadia I knew. Those are the only two things I knew about Romania. I kept
1: saying, isn't that the place where there's all those orphans? That's all I knew.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, so, but as soon as people started researching about Romania, that's usually the, one of the first things that come up is, yeah, the orphan problem over there. Sure. So, um, so tell us how you got over to Romania. How okay. did you became a missionary? Well,
1: I started out doing short term uh, summer trips, and that's what it started. I felt like I've got to go, and I thought, well, that'll probably be difficult, and no one will want me to go. So I was kind of hoping that was the way it was going to go down. And when it when it all was said and done, and I called because again, there's no internet, and I picked up the phone and called the, the last thing. Right. Roma- And I called the last agency. I had a list of people. And um, and that's a whole nother story, how God provided me a list of mission agencies because I didn't even know that, you know. But anyway, I did have a list that I had gotten that he had provided me because I didn't know to look for it. And um, I called and I talked to him and it was with International Messengers, which is the organization that for all these years I've worked with. They answered the phone and said, uh, yeah, and I said, well, I'm a teacher. I need to go, but I got to go in the summer. I can't build anything you don't want me to build anything that kind of thing and she's like great no problem i'm like what great no problem no 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 problem at all we'll we'll get you there and i was like oh come on it's got to be a little bit harder than that and that's where it started i went that summer and i did a camp in hungary first because i was already there and i did a camp in um in romania and and that was in 1995. wow and uh it was still pretty rustic uh and um I knew I was at the right place. Um, When we crossed the border, or we were at the border between Romania and Hungary, going into Romania, and we're on a train, and got the team, and we crossed. And I know we're in Romania just because I could, the flag, I knew what the flag looked like. And I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm just in awe because I was 29, getting ready to get married. I'm from this little town in South Carolina, and I'm thinking, how in the world does that boy get here? Yes. You know? And I'm looking out the window and just as clearly as probably the things he has said to you and many other people, he said, you're coming back. Yep. And I was like, well, you know, I hadn't even gotten off the train yet. <laughs> <I> <laughs> down, you know? The whole process for many years, I was going, slow down, slow down, slow down. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, I got a plan. Yeah. so I got to Romania then of course did several camps over the summers would go back and go back and go back and then really knew the Lord was calling us to go over and live there and we it was a process to just live through it and be confirmed that's what we were supposed to do and um, 2003 my wife and I moved over with a a, a two-year-old and a four-year-old and it was snowing and it was cold and we knew a few people in Timisoara because I had been there so many times for camps and things. So we knew some people, and she knew some of those people. So, uh, but that's what happened. We moved there in 2003 in January, very cold and very snowy winter. And, you know, uh, everybody was like, you can't do that. You can't take those kids. And dah, dah, dah. I was like, well, I have to yeah. because that's what God's told us to do. Mm-hmm. So we went and we were there for six years living in the country.
0: Yeah, so in Timișoara, which people who know a little bit about Romania know that's where the revolution, so in 1989 when everything was getting chaotic over there, it was actually in Timișoara where Mm -hmm. the revolution started to where the overthrow of uh, Ceausescu and all of that. So share a little bit about that, what you learned there and some of the um, living there.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Tim, I learned a lot, you know. it would take days, you know, sometimes to tell all the things over the years. But one of the biggest things about living in Timisoara, not only was with the revolution having started there, because it was, it's the westernmost city in the country. It had a very different perspective and attitude than the uh, cities further east towards Russia. Sure. They, the further east you go, the more Russian the people become. And Timisoara had, had hundreds of years ago been part of the uh, Austro-Hungarian empire. It had been Hungarian, so they had a lot of, when I say progressive, I don't mean that word like we use it politically now. They just, they thought much more ahead than the people in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Very, um, a lot of universities, a lot of college students. So it was, it was the city during communism that the uh, dictator hated. Because of where they were located, we were, you know, Thirty minutes from the Hungarian border, uh, they they could always pick up radio for Europe and things like that. Okay, and he hated it. And they could always, they could never get scramble enough stuff so that they couldn't pick up things. So that was the the city where they knew more than the other people. They knew what was really going on in the rest of the world, and he didn't like that. So the people were affected by that in the fact that they were always they kind of considered themselves. you know, educated and, and a little bit more knowing of the western world. Uh, but what I really, one of the, the thing I learned the most I think lived in there was how so many people I met that were older, retired, uh, the sadness of their lives that they were never allowed to have a vocation that they wanted. They were given a job that they were required to have. We knew a guy who lived in our, uh, one of our, the building that we lived in, and uh, he was retired. And he had been a factory worker, still factory Hundred and fifty degrees, uh, terrible. He wanted to be a businessman. That's all he ever wanted, and he was he was a worker in a factory. And his wife told us that he he had been miserable every single day of his life because of that. And so he was retired, and he would put on an old suit and carry around a briefcase. And it, you know it was kind of cute, but it was also sad yeah. because that's I think that's what I learned was so many stories from so many people whose lives had been altered. And they weren't given any choices.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's the lesson we need to learn now. So as mm-hmm. this country evolves into, I don't want to get political here, but into more depending on centralized government or at right. least, headed that way, at least our, our mentality seems to be thinking that's more comforting. Yeah. Uh, we need to understand that that does have consequences and we can learn from the past. And Romania would be a good example of that. And that one gentleman <laughs> yeah. might be a really good example of that. Yeah. Okay, so it's 2003. You move over. What, what are you doing? What, what kind of work are you doing when you get there?
1: Yeah, you know, I learned in the process of moving there, um, we were called to serve in Romania. And that's all I ever knew. People would say, what are you going to do? And I have no idea what we're going to do. But I have a feeling God will make all this happen, he'll find something for me to do once I get there. There's just no doubt about it.
0: Let me and let, me, let me do this real quick. So okay. did you go over with an organization or did you just go over yes. on your own?
1: No, we went with International Messengers. Okay. And that's the organization I had been with. And I still do short-term work with them. Okay. And uh, if I get back over there again, I'll probably be with them. I've been associated with them for since I was 29. So that's a long time. Okay. Uh, so we were with IM. And they had some staff in the city. And they have some still now that I'm... In contact with pretty regularly but i knew that we would um find our spot international messengers or im one of the things that attracted me to im is they allow you to find your spot and for some people that may not work but for me it was fine i'm I, I knew i knew we were going to be fine because i'm i'm okay i'm able to do that um i was going to just say this too i learned that you you're either called to a specific place and that's what we were called to a specific place you're called to do a specific type of ministry you know I work uh you know people i build things or i'm a, uh we dig wells, or we you know whatever or you're called to work with a certain population well we were called to, to a specific place and that call to romania to serve that country has been part of my life since i was about 28 or 29 and um so what we did uh the first three years we were in Timisoara, and we worked with an organization called Student Venture, which was part of Campus Crusade, and we worked with high school and college students, and it was a blast. I mean, mostly they were at our apartment all the time. We had a lot of rallies and all kind of you know, you know, all the kind of high school stuff. Um, we went to high schools a lot. I was in and out of Romania. Especially there were four high schools in Timisoara that we went into. I mean, we could have gone to others, we just didn't have time. I was in and out of those four high schools several times a week. They'd let me come in and do anything I wanted to do because I was an American. They wanted an American to come in there and talk, you know, and we didn't come in and do evangelical things. What we did was we came in and did things that they just don't do normally. We'd talk about, you know, how our brain works or what our personality is. Those kind of catchy things. And they would invite them to events off campus that we would have. And that was sort of, that's what we did. And we really, it, It was a very relationship based situation. And that to me, that's where my heart is. My heart is in relationship evangelism. It's not in standing on the street, you know, giving people things that say things. It's in uh, getting to know people and meeting them at the need of where they really are in life, you know. And so that's what we did. And then we moved to Bucharest, which is the capital and the bustling 4 million people, you know, and it was quite different. But we worked at a private uh, Christian school that was English speaking there. And I was a teacher and an administrator there for three years. And we worked with people from a lot of different places there. And it was a good fit. Uh, and to my, my two children that were uh, school age, they went to school there. While we were there, my third daughter, Sophie, was born in Bucharest. So that's sort of what we did. And then after those six years, um, we, we came back to the States. Um, it was just time. We needed to, our kids needed it. Uh, it was just, some they needed a change and it was a good change for them. But it's a big, huge part of their lives still to this day. And, and the older two have been back many times with me in the summers.
0: Yeah. So in 2009, when it was, it was ending, was that another like call for you? Was that something that God revealed to you that this
1: phase of your life was over? Or was it your well, family that kind of helped you with that? Or I didn't know at first. At first I thought, Okay, this is over. This is done. Even after all that had happened and then living there for six years, I don't think I still understood that God had give, put a lifetime call on me to live there and work there and serve them. Okay. I just don't think I understood that. Because I looked around at a lot of people who had come and left, and I thought they all just started back into the world and doing their thing, you know. And I thought, okay, that's just what you do. Yeah. But uh the the what was going on inside never went away. So it wasn't during the move, it was maybe two or three years after the move that I realized, oh, no, wait a minute, just because I'm not there, doesn't mean that has gone, right. and so, you know, started going back, and doing stuff, and been, and like I said, just very involved, and hope to, my plan, when I'm finished with this gig, is uh, my kids are a little bit more grown, I'm moving back, yeah, and I've told them, y'all can bury me over there if you'd like to,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> it's my heart, and um, am struggling people, but no, that, it was a, it was a big, uh, it was a, I did not, ex- none of us, I mean, my my wife at the time, none of us expected to move back. Yeah. When we moved there, I moved with the intention that we were going to, I was 40, that we were going to uh, send the kids off to college from there and I would die there. It's really, that was really, I moved there. People would say, how long are you going to be here? And I was like, uh, forever. And that's what I thought. Yeah. God had different plans, but he didn't, change his plan for it to be part of my heart yeah
0: yeah because he embeds into that that heart he does those for reasons because that's what people have passions on, and that's what he wants to use god wants to utilize people's passions and skills and Mm -hmm. uh, obviously he did that for you and and it's still in there and uh, he's gonna he's gonna keep that heart moving and uh it's gonna be pretty cool um so, so mission, mission-focused life. That's kind of what this podcast uh, talks about. And what we try to do is try to help people live a more in, intentional life. So how, how do you define the word mission? And and I know a lot of times people think it's to go and to go to Romania or to go to some <laughs> exotic place that God calls you. But how do you define mission?
1: I think mission is is really the simple act of living life and demonstrating Christ's love to people with the skill set and the relationships and the circumstances He's given you—that's really what I think it is. It's not all about airplanes and passports and big events and pictures and pizza parties. It's about rel- relational living with people every day. That's what I think missions is. I really do.
0: Yeah. I love that relational aspect of it because because um, we're not in relationship with people, we're we're just doing superficial things. We need to be we need to have roots and to I mean, just look at the way Jesus. I mean he he groomed twelve people to to change the world. And so he had twelve very good relationships with people. and then even that he even went down to even four mm-hmm. uh, people that he was most close. there three he was most closely attached to. Um, because you know, relationships are that important. Um, so, a defining moment. I mean, what what was that moment in Romania? Because okay, let's let's do it this way. The question I want to ask you, and you kind of referenced it when you were sitting on that train.
1: Oh, that was a moment. I revealed
0: yeah. to you that yeah. uh, you're coming back, and and here you are, just this young man. And how in the heck did I get here? And I had that same experience. So. Uh, <laughs> So how does someone know, how does someone know, and God has calling them, uh, whether it's to to travel, because I believe that can be a catalyst to a person's spiritual walk. I've seen lots of people, and you have too. You could probably share Mm -hmm. testimonies of people who have went on trips and come back and are now doing work. So what can you kind of share on that as far as how do people know if it's a defining moment or not?
1: Well, first I think that we probably – all experience our defining moments differently. Oh, yeah. And the closer in tune you are, I mean, to yourself and how God speaks to you, you're going to be closer to understanding a defining moment. But I also think in general, a defining moment is going to be one that just, it doesn't go away. You know, I am as, I could just as clearly today know what it's like to be standing on that train looking out the window right now. It was a defining moment. And I think defining moments don't they don't go away. That's what makes them defining. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking at is God asking us to do something, well, I think first the first mistake a lot of us make, and I and I've made this mistake too, is that we just assume God is asking certain people to do something. But in reality, He's asking all of us to do something. Yeah. It may not be as dramatic or as drastic when they look at it as living in another country. You know, it may be inviting your next door neighbors over for dinner one night. I mean, but nonetheless, he's asking us all to do something. And I think the only way we can really start ascertaining is God calling me to do something is to work on that relationship with him and learning to hear his voice and recognizing the things that he keeps putting in front of you, just like I recognized Romania was everywhere. If he keeps putting things in front of you, he's doing it for a reason,
0: you know? Yeah. So we need to keep our eyes open What we you are trying to tell the listeners is we got to be, there's gotta be an awareness of what God is trying to commit. So right. Because it could be near, he could have been trying to talk me into taking that step to do a mission trip for years and me just not being in a close enough relationship and, and hearing his voice in different ways or not recognizing the things that he's putting in front of me every day, whether it's people, magazines or whatever, uh, so yep. just be having awareness about it, an intentional awareness of what God wants you to do in your life. Yep. Um, so you spent six years in Romania. I know you and John Hogg, I'm not sure how you and John Hogg came together, but I know you guys are Romania, a dynamic duo. and absolutely. Uh, So what were some of the, the best moments, if you could share one or maybe two stories of moments that just really moved your heart maybe had some humor to it or something but just something really yeah yeah.
1: well I'll tell you as as far as John goes we had a lot of moments together uh John and his wife Casey had lived there for about a year and they lived down the street from us and in an apartment and we went to church together so we got to know each other you know because we're Americans and all this stuff and um we we did a lot of things together and over the years too even after he had moved and we were still there they would he would bring teens and I would work with him, and then even after that, I went. We would take teens over. But some uh, stories, boy, I tell you, there's one that I'm the one one story is is a sad story, and then the other. And but I want to tell it real quickly because it was sort of a a defining moment for in a lot of ways. My uh, wife, her name, was, her name was Lisa, and Lisa is a nurse, and she had well, we had a, a girl who kind of helped us with our kids sometimes. She lived in the village, and. She came in one day in tears and she was in high school and we were like, what's going on? You know, and she just a wreck. And a friend of hers from high school had had an accident at the train station and fallen under a train and had two legs and one arm taken off. Now this was a, this was like, you know, let's see, my oldest is 21 and she was probably five, six. So they weren't prepared for this at all there. Long story, but when she finally came out of a hospital months later, um, Lisa was able to work with Johnny Erickson Tata's organization and get uh, a custom made electric wheelchair fit for her with the handle on the right side and everything. You know, and um, that was a huge, huge moment uh, for all of us. I mean, even my kids, we all remember that process even that one day we went to some like the uh, store and met the guy in the parking lot he found you know it took months you know we finally got the wheelchair brought over and we went out to their house and gave this family this wheelchair and the dad put her in it and they're just in tears you know and and it wasn't any more than the fact that we just knew who to email you know but that was huge and what the reason it was huge was we saw how it was, again, that intentional, relational. And, and the dad, he kept asking us, why, why are you doing this? Why are you helping us? He was thankful, but he didn't understand it. He was poor. He was a worker in the village. And um, we told him we did it because, well, first off, we loved Andrea, the girl who was her friend. And we loved Jesus. And Jesus told us that he would help us get them a wheelchair. And that's why we did it. And that's, to me, what missions is about. Whether it's about a wheelchair or a meal or whatever else, you know, but um, that was huge. Now, on the, on a brighter, brighter, much broader notes, um, there's a little village near Lugosh called Susani, and out in Susani is uh, where we have a friend, Ovidio, who lives out there, and uh, mm-hmm. and his wife and kids, and he's a pastor, and we spent uh, countless. Friday nights, and Saturdays, and weekends out there, and we used to take the city kids, you know, from Tim Shore out there, and they would do stuff with the village kids, and uh, there's quite a divide there, but, you know, uh, and John and I would go, and our wives, and our kids, and everything, but we used to go out there, and we spent so much time, and my heart was literally, I think, broken and reformed in in those in those villages out there, and that's where my love for village ministry came from, going around, and, you know, we would feed them and give them groceries and do all this stuff and everything and all those things, you know. And um, but fun times and fun stories. I tell you, there's just so many, so many funny things that happened out there. And when John and I would be together, it was pretty funny. And I think one of the things, <coughs> excuse me, I mean one of the things that made it really work a lot of the time still is just I'm pretty funny and I don't mind jumping in there and acting like you know making a fool out of myself, I guess. And so really enjoyed just doing, you know, most of the time it was them, you know, teaching me words that I sh- shouldn't say and I didn't know I shouldn't say them and yeah. having me do things and, you know, just a lot of that. But I love it and it's just relational and it's a lot of fun. But uh, we just had so much fun out there. And I guess for me, you know, again, to bring all that to a place was um, I learned to just love the way Romanians live. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think one of the cool things that a lot of Americans don't realize, and I'm going to say, the, the Christian Americans realize that it's a combination of who we are as Christians, but also the American aspect of generosity. I mean, I know America is always the most generous. So when we go over as Christians who who give lovingly and generously, that is such a strange concept to a lot mm-hmm. of people. And I've seen it uh, in Guatemala, too. And I've seen it in Romania when I go and visit it. They ask that question a lot is, why? Why are you investing time and resources to me when you don't Mm -hmm. even know me right Um, Right. it's very you know you might you know embellish on that just a little bit as far as why one of the
1: first things that comes to my mind is and it's funny because it goes back to this same person the guy I was mentioning that had the little briefcase and always wanted to be a businessman and couldn't be he lived in our apartment building and his wife was a dentist and she had been made to be a dentist but she had loved being a dentist and actually she was still a dentist, even, you know, now, you know, she had her own office and everything and she loved it. So she, it was quite a you know paradox. He hated what he had to do and she loved what she got to do, <laughs> but she um, was very smart and she spoke English very well. So when we first moved there and did not have language yet, she immediately took to us cause she could speak English and she loved my kids. And so she spent a lot of time with us and um, she was fascinated with us because we were Americans and we lived there and we lived in that building. And, you know, there was so much about it. She just could not wrap her brain around why in the world would you take these beautiful children and bring them to this dirty country? That's what she would say. You know, she knew, I mean, and people would say this and you may have heard this before. If you were there for, if you're there for any length of time, people say you're either a missionary or you're a businessman. And you haven't tried to sell me anything, so you must be a missionary. <laughs> That's what they would say. And I go, okay, that makes sense. And so, but Monica said to us one day, she had really puzzled about it. And she had asked us a lot of questions. I mean, she knew where we were coming from, you know, the whole thing. But she also knew that we were just very relational and we, we were just, we were living there. Yeah. And um, she looked at us very seriously one day and said, either this God that you keep talking about is real and all these things he told you to do, he really is real, or else you're all just crazy. You're, you're insane and need to be put in an institution. That's right as he said it. And she goes, and I've spent three years with you guys, and I see you almost every day, and you just aren't crazy. <laughs> she says, so that just puts me in a place where I've got to do a lot of thinking. Mm-hmm. So when we moved, I gave her a New Testament in Romanian, and um, and when I gave it to her, she told me. She said, "It's funny you would give me this." I said, "Why?" She said, "Because these were illegal when I was growing up." I said, "Donna," and she said, "I had a Bible when I was a little girl." She said, "And I kept it because I thought it must be very important if it's illegal." And my grandmother took it away and burned it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I said, "Why did she burn it?" She goes, "She was afraid that someone would find it and we would get in trouble." So wow. And she goes, and I've never seen. I've never let myself look at a Bible since then. Really? I said, "Well, you've got one." I said, "So yeah. you need to read it." Yeah. And um, you know, it is things like that. You know, um, that's the relational part. She spent a lot of time with us, as did a lot of this, a lot of people. And and uh, you know, she could not understand why anyone would do what we were doing unless there really was a God.
0: And you don't have to do that in Timishwara. That's going to be done in our hometown.
1: Absolutely. Living by
0: example. Why did
1: you cut my grass? Why did you bring us dinner? Exactly. Because you're either crazy or there's something bigger than you. Yeah. Right.
0: Because yep. uh, we need to do things with love. I mean, this country, typically, we're still, as a country, we're still pretty generous people um, yeah. throughout the whole country. But when you do it with love, when you do it without expecting anything in return, you right. do it graciously. Uh, that attracts people and it brings it, it it's different enough nowadays to where it does bring, it makes people question, what's, what's mm-hmm. different about this person? So living by example, and I want to get to the short term, one of the problems with short term missions the the thought of missions and uh, short term mission teams, and we're trying to address this in another child foundation, is that we can't go over as the answers to the problems, we can't right. go over as the as the haves, trying to serve the have-nots. If you go over a mentality like that, or as problem solvers, we're gonna go to Romania and solve some of these kids' problems, then the mission's gonna fail right away. It's, it's gotta be relational.
1: Um, yes.
0: So, and you've gave some great examples mm-hmm. of that. Um, yeah, it's very
1: true. Um, I was just gonna speak to that, Rich, real quickly. Yeah. Having been part of so many short-term teams, either on them, leading them, hosting them, just in, in every way possible, I believe that it's really about having the team come over and work alongside whoever is already working there. You're not there to bring something new. You're there to just be an extra set of hands and hearts for the person who's already there. And one of the things that uh, a good friend of mine who was Romanian, he's a strong believer, he told me right after we had moved there, and I already knew him, we had done camps together, and... um, his name is Cornell, and Cornell said, here, you have to be careful. You can't say things like getting saved. He goes, because they're just going to look at you and say, saved from what? Yeah. I said, right. He goes, and another thing that you have to be careful about, and it was great, great advice And all. I mean, for 30 years, I remembered this. He said, another thing you've got to be really careful about is, he said, you've got to remember that your country is only 200 years old and we've been here for thousands of years. <laughs> he said, you can't come in acting like you got a better plan because we've been around a lot longer than you. And he wasn't saying that to me, and he was just being, you know, that's, and people will look at you and say, who do you think you are? It's like the five-year-old coming in and telling grandpa how to do something. Yeah. So he he really probably more than anyone planted that seed in me of understanding it was all about relationships, Yeah, all about relationships and, and you weren't there you weren't there to tell them that the Orthodox Church was wrong because I don't really know that it's my place to tell them that right. the Orthodox Church is wrong. He said to me, and then I'll move on. He said, everything just needs to be about Jesus. He said, it doesn't matter if they're Orthodox or Baptist or Catholic, what are they doing with Jesus? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. That's good. I remember, I'm not sure if it's the same Cornell, um, but we visited a small village there in, in 2006 in tinka and uh that was my first experience with extreme poverty i'd never mm-hmm. seen anything like this before the children who were there they had this this joy about them um but it was it was poverty like i've never yeah. hopelessness like i've never yes never seen before and oh i still remember the smell the the sights
1: mm-hmm. that'll
0: never leave me and, and i always take that uh, yeah with me
1: and, and a family living there, uh, they don't need theology. They need love. They need groceries. Yep. <laughs> um, they need you to come along and, and help them and, and, and show. And again, to me, it's about showing Christ's love, you know. Yeah. Uh, show people that Christ loves them through other people.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a chance right now. We're going to wrap it up here. Um, we'll come to the end of our time. But I'm going to give you an opportunity if you want to if you choose and i know right now you're doing a special drive to uh, collect some items it's going to end up in romania i'm not sure exactly are they going to be shipped over or whatever but yeah. you're uh collecting shorts and you want to tell us more about yes. it if
1: anybody wants to be involved yes let me tell it. you about that uh i am always got my finger in a couple of pies um mm-hmm. in romania at all times and just the last couple of years uh well last year of course nobody accomplished anything, but um, from that, you know, the Lord said, just because you can't go right now, it doesn't mean you can't be, still be doing stuff, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's true, so what I did, um, I just looked, there's an organization that I'm working alongside there, and I'm collecting shorts, I'm collecting new or used men's women and children's shorts and a lot of people say why are you collecting shorts in the middle of the winter time because by the time we get them there it'll be summer so you have to be about six months ahead as you well know and what you're doing so um that's what I'm doing until the end of February I'm collecting these shorts and I'm going to send them over and they're going to use them this summer to give out to the kids now a lot of times too I have to explain to people sometimes like people get it but I've lived there in the summer and he and you've been there in the summer, it's very hot, and these people are living in extreme poverty, extreme poverty, and even though they're very, very poor, we want to, not just with this organization, anytime I do something, we want to give them quality things, because that's Jesus, you know, giving them, if I give them something I don't want, I've not shown them Jesus. If, If I give them something, or if I give them something I wouldn't give my own kids I'm not showing them Jesus so anyway I'm collecting shorts uh Todd Long you can look me up on Facebook if you want to get in touch with me that's what I have right now I don't really have a website or anything right now but always involved in some different things going to do some other things later with them um with I've got you know again a daughter daughter graduating college soon and another one in college I got a lot going on here and uh, needed to be here with them but yeah i am really excited to be back in the business of helping them i my my heart's desire as i probably expressed is serving the very very poorest of poor in the villages and meeting their and meeting their physical needs um and this organization is a very evangelical organization and they're just but they believe in showing love through giving them things they need so that's what i'm doing right now i'm helping them um in the spring, probably going to come up with the new, I said my spring collection, like I'm a fashion designer or something, but um, there'll be something else. And until I get back, I know you guys are going and I just, um, that's what I'm doing right now. Okay. Uh, ultimately, like I said, I do hope to get back. And uh, when I'm finished with this, when the Lord says, okay, you can go to the next thing. The next thing, I mean, I hope to move back to Romania and uh, spend the rest of my life serving the people in the villages. Yeah.
0: So is there a deadline on when you would need the shorts to your. I'm,
1: I, the end of February. Okay. I'd like to mail them out, ship them. There's a place in Atlanta that ships to Romania. So it's about an hour and a half from here. I hope to ship the first week of March. So I'd like to have everything by the end of February. Uh, I can, My email address is simple. It's toddlong63, toddlong63 at Yahoo. Uh, it's the year I was born. So y'all can do the math. All right. Uh, and. I'm on Facebook, so if, if anybody's interested, uh, just get in touch with me. That'd be great. Um, right now, that's how God's impressed me to serve that country. Been serving and loving that country for a long time. So you see, got a little to see behind me. There's a Romanian flag on my bulletin board there. End of that. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, so what we'll do is we're going to put it on our, our um, um, Facebook page, too, your contact information and stuff, and maybe right. you can... Send me just a little blurb and we'll get that out so that people can uh, see it there also so that sounds great great all right uh, well anything you want to give one last tip that you can give someone that uh, you would just like to encourage them to take that first or maybe their next step on what living a mission focused life might look like for uh, for a person
1: yeah i guess you know you mentioned short-term things and uh, getting involved in missions whether you are donating shorts are uh, moving to live on the field in another country. I mean, missions is any time you're really touching people's lives. What I would say is um, two things. Every time you are involved on any level and serving others, you there's two blessings there. You're gonna get blessed and they're gonna get blessed. And uh, I say this a lot, if you, if you want to be blessed, then go bless somebody else because that's how you will get blessed. And the second thing is, If you take a step out of your comfort zone, and it doesn't mean flying to another country, your comfort zone might be going next door and talking to the neighbor in the driveway. That might be way out of your comfort zone. If you will step out of your comfort zone a few times, God will then make that comfortable, and then he'll let you step a little further out of your next comfort zone. And that's the way he'll ease you into um, getting you involved. And the more you are willing to step out of your comfort zone and obey him, you will find that you will want to step further the next time. And every time you step or don't step, there are uh, blessings that either get given or that don't get given. And there's people who will be served or not served. And so I, I think about this a lot. Every time we we knowingly, or even if we don't know, every time we don't do what God asks us to do, somebody just might be missing out on something that he had planned for them.
0: Wow.
1: And that's true. But missions, again, it's just... Uh, It's uh, uncomfortable sometimes, and as you well know, uh, it's not glamorous. It's, It's usually hot or very cold. You're usually very tired. You're usually doing a lot of waiting or a lot of hurrying up. But you meet sweet, beautiful people, and you get to just see, not for yourself, but you get to see them reacting to God's love.
0: Well, Ted, I just want to thank you for your dedication to, to the gospel, to relationships with people that God uh, puts in front of you each and every day. And uh, just thank you for your time today. And we appreciate having you on. And uh, just God bless you and uh, take care. All right.
1: All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much. I enjoyed it.
0: All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. And in in the show notes, we will have a short link to a survey that you can take that will really help uh, you identify skills and passion that God has placed into you and where you can use them. Um, It's real simple. And when you're done, you can actually receive a personalized mission action plan um, that you can look over. So until next time, live for Jesus and speak life into others. This has been A Mission Focused Life with Tim Olofson. Find us online at missionfocusedlife.com as well as on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash missionfocusedlife. You can subscribe to the video version of this show on YouTube and the audio version on Spotify as well as anywhere you get your podcasts.